Welcome to another service here at Church of the Open Bible. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. I'll be reading from verses 2 through 7. So Isaiah 9, 2 through 7, and it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping uh, warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Well, the last few weeks we've been talking quite a bit about names, and that's something that uh, I like a lot. I have always enjoyed names. I've always been intrigued by names. In fact, I remember back when I was, I guess it would have been six years old, I remember uh, I had a, a baby, well, ended up being a brother, didn't know that at the time, but a baby brother on the way. And I had the opportunity, or so I thought, to help my parents uh, pick out a name for my brother to be. And so I remember sitting at the table, having a baby book in front of me. I think I had a list uh, of mostly Bible names or a book of Bible names. And I can't say for sure, but I feel like I probably liked the more interesting names, you know, the Zadoks or the Methuselahs, things like that. Um, but I do know for sure that the one name that stuck out above all the other names for me as a six-year-old was the name Zachariah. Now, I don't know why I like that name so much. I think I, I probably just thought it sounded pretty neat, sounded pretty cool. And that was the name I wanted for my little brother. Well, needless to say, a few months later, my brother came and uh, he ended up with the name Zachary. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. That's pretty close to the name that I had wanted for my brother, Zachariah, Zachary. And so to this day, I still think I should take a little bit of credit for my brother's name being Zachary. And so began my enjoyment and love for names. But it continues today as well. Uh, I'm still very interested now mostly in the meanings of names. So for example, my own name, uh, my first name Josiah means the Lord is my strength. And I love that. I hope that's true of myself, that the Lord is my strength. And my middle name is Gerald. I'm named after my grandpa. And Gerald means spear ruler. So I think if you put those two names together, the Lord is my strength, uh, spear ruler, I think that should mean, right? If, if I depend on the Lord for strength, I too can become a spear ruler. So if you see me you know, handling a spear and, and using it like I, I know what I'm doing, you'll know why. My name has been fulfilled. Well, whether my name ever comes true, whether my name ever becomes truly fulfilled or not, we do know that the names given to Jesus uh, do indeed have great meaning. They have come fulfilled. And they point to something significant about who the Son of God, who the Messiah is. And the name we're looking at today is probably one of the most misunderstood of the titles given in Isaiah chapter 9. And that name is Everlasting Father. So today we're going to consider what this name tells us about Jesus. So just as we have the last couple of weeks, we're going to start off with the definition 
of this name for Jesus Christ. So this name, Everlasting Father, much like we've seen the previous two weeks, is a name made up of two Hebrew root words. So the first word is Ad, which uh, in English it's translated just A-D, and it means forever, eternal, or as we see in front of us today in Isaiah chapter 9, everlasting. And I think that tells us something pretty significant about the Messiah. It's tied very close to what we saw last week when Jay walked us through what it meant that the Messiah was mighty God. See, Isaiah is further pushing that same point here by saying the Messiah is everlasting Father. He's saying the Messiah is no mere man. He is forever. He is eternal. He is everlasting. And this isn't the only place that Isaiah uses this word either. Consider Isaiah 26, verse 4, where it says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Or a well-known verse from Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. It's used elsewhere in the Bible as well. I think right away of Psalm 90, especially verse 2, where it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So clearly, each of these verses are proclaiming that God is forever, that he is eternal. And that very same word, everlasting, is used here of the Messiah in chapter 9 of Isaiah. So Isaiah is once again proclaiming that the Messiah to come was, in fact, deity. He would be everlasting God forever. And that brings us then to the second Hebrew word here, which is ab, ab in English. And that means father. And that's, of course, really quite self-explanatory. But this is actually where we have to be very, very careful. Because I think most often when we hear the, the word father in regards to God, we we normally, and I would say rightfully, associate that with God the Father. But our text today in Isaiah 9 verse 6 is actually an exception because we see the beginning of verse 6, it says, a child is born, a son is given. See, Isaiah is not talking about the first person of the Trinity here. He also is not somehow teaching that the Son of God is the same person as God the Father. That's a belief called modalism. That was proven to be heretical way back in, in church history. We need to remember here, Isaiah is speaking about the Messiah, a child, a son. He's speaking about Jesus. That still leaves us with, with a pretty significant question, though. If this name of Father is not talking about the first person of the Trinity, what does it mean that the Son of God is Father? Well, first, I think we can just simply understand that this is a descriptive analogy pointing to the character of the Messiah. He is fatherly. He's caring. He's loving. He's a provider and he's a protector. All of these things, they would be central to the conduct and the character of the Messiah. And all of those things are fatherly things. That's what a father, a good father, would do. And secondly, I think it's also helpful for us to know that during the time that Isaiah is writing this, it was common for people to call their king father. It would have happened all the time. And in the ancient Near East, we know that kings themselves often claimed to be a father of those they ruled. And that makes sense, because a good king in action would and hopefully should look like a, a caring father for his people. He's not going to mistreat his people if he's like a good father. He would be a good king. 
He would care for his people. He would shepherd his people. He would love his people. And interestingly enough, even in biblical history, we see that kings were at times considered to be fathers. One example of this is in 1 Samuel 24, verse 11, where we see David call his king, who of course was Saul, uh, he calls him father. Now, of course, we know that Saul certainly didn't act like a good father towards David. He was trying to kill him all the time. Um, but still, David has that respect for his king and calls him father. And so, with all that, that in mind, I believe that by calling the Messiah father here in Isaiah chapter 9, it's pointing out that the Messiah will be king. Not just any king either, though, but a good, a fatherly, a protective, a shepherding king. And that seems especially clear if we peek ahead at verse 7, where we see that the Messiah will reign on David's throne and will reign with justice. And we'll see a little bit more about that later on during the sermon. But now if we put those, those two Hebrew words that we've looked at together, ab and ad, we get the Hebrew word aviad. And, and that, of course, is translated everlasting father, what we see here in verse 6. And those two words together, everlasting and father, I think just paint a beautiful picture of the Messiah who Isaiah prophesies would be a fatherly but eternal king. A king who is God. A good and gracious king who is forever. As a kid, and actually still today, I, I love the, the Chronicles of Narnia books. I've probably read them like 15 to 20 times total, all seven of them. They're just super, super good. But in the books, there's a group of people called the Kalermen. And these Kalermen are ruled by an emperor uh, who they call the Tisroch, who was believed to be a descendant from their so-called god, Tash. Um, but what I always found interesting, and especially when I was younger, really humorous, was that every time a Kalerman mentioned their emperor, the Tisroch, they would immediately have to say, may he live forever. And the way C.S. Lewis wrote those books, he would intentionally make sure that some characters had to say Tisroch many times, even within the same sentence. So this character is continually interrupting themselves by saying, may he live forever, may he live forever. And it, it really was quite funny. But of course, over, over several decades that happened during these books, we see that there are many different men who hold this title, this mantle of Tisroch, because those before them have died. It goes to show, they could say, uh, may he live forever until the cows come home. But that Tisroch, that emperor, would not live forever. And the same is true of any human ruler today. They'll die, they're not forever. Uh, if any human today, they will not live forever. But speaking here about the Messiah, Isaiah says, he is a king. More than just an emperor. He is a king who will indeed live and rule forever because he is eternal. There is only one who can have this name, Everlasting Father, and that is Jesus. And so with that in mind, we can move on now to the demonstration of this name by Jesus Christ. In other words, how does Jesus live out this name of Everlasting Father? If we look to Jesus' ministry here on earth as recorded in the Gospels, I think we see quite quickly how he demonstrates this name. First of all, we can just consider his relationships with the disciples. You know, maybe we could see the relationship between Jesus and the disciples as a relationship between, uh, between a teacher 
and students, which makes sense because certainly Jesus taught the disciples and the disciples even called Jesus teacher and rabbi all the time. Or maybe we would look at their relationship and say it's like a relationship between friends, which I think also has some truth to it. But I think the best way to view the relationship between Jesus and the disciples is to say it was like a relationship between a father and children. And think about it. That makes sense. How often does Jesus act like a good father towards the 12 disciples? Like, like I just mentioned, he teaches the 12. And we see that in Matthew 13, verses 10 to 17. He equips and challenges the disciples, Mark 3, 14 to 15. He rebukes and corrects them when necessary, as we see in Mark 8, 33. And he prays often for them. For example, in John 17, the high priestly prayer. And certainly, if we consider all those things, those are all attributes of a good father. Would a good father not teach his children, equip and challenge his children, rebuke, correct his children, and pray for his children? Of course. That's what a good father would do for his children. And that's what Jesus does for the 12 disciples. But it's not just with the 12 either that, that Jesus acts as a father. Think of those pe other people who follow Jesus. The people that Jesus healed, those who witnessed and experienced Jesus' miracles. Jesus showed so much compassion and so much care for all of these people. And on a couple occasions, Jesus himself even calls some of these people his children. Consider Matthew 9 verse 2, when Jesus heals the paralytic. What does he say? He says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Or think of the woman with the discharge of blood who touched Jesus' cloak in Mark 5, verse 34. He says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. So in both of those situations, Jesus is considering these people who he's doing these miracles for to be like his children, to be a son, to be a daughter. Certainly, these and many more would see Jesus' actions, would hear Jesus' words, and consider him to be much like a father. Now, we also know that Jesus was a provider, much like a father brings provision. And a big example of this, of course, is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. He, he provides them with physical bread, with physical fish. But not just with the physical, he also provides them with the spiritual, with the bread of life. Jesus provides these people with eternal life. And to provide that eternal life, we know that Jesus sacrificed his life for those he loved, as a father would do for his children. And I think that's maybe the greatest example of Jesus as a father in all of his earthly ministry. It's his sacrifice at the cross. His sacrifice for those that are like his children. It's a powerful example of Jesus as a father. And there's, there's no doubt then that throughout all of Jesus' earthly ministry, he showed the qualities and the characteristics of a good father. He proved to be a loving, compassionate provider and protector. And Jesus also clearly proved to be everlasting. You know, we just referred to Jesus' death on the cross. But we know that death could not hold the everlasting, eternal Messiah. As it says in Acts 2, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death because he is everlasting. He is everlasting Father. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, who was, who is, who is to come. 
as we read in Revelation 1, verse 8 and 22, verse 13. In Jesus' life, in Jesus' death, and in Jesus' resurrection, he exemplifies clearly that he is the everlasting Father. But what about in the future? How will Jesus show that he is the everlasting Father when he comes again? And this is where we see the aspect of the name Father that points to Jesus being King. Because as this passage tells us, Jesus will one day reign on the throne of David as that fatherly king. In chapter 9, verse 7, I'll read this again. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that verse. Because not only do the people who are reading this when Isaiah writes it get a glimpse ahead at Jesus, we too get a glimpse ahead at King Jesus who will reign with peace from the throne of David, ruling like a good father over his children with justice and with righteousness. And that's something we see just a couple chapters later as well in in, uh, chapter 11, which Pastor Jay read for us last week. And I think the best part of this reign that we read about in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11 is that it's not a temporary reign. See, Jesus' reign will have no end, it says. It says that he will reign forevermore. There's a newer Christmas song that portrays this message so clearly, and it's one of my favorites. It's, He Shall Reign Forevermore by Chris Tomlin. And if you have time today, I encourage you to listen to it. It's really a great song. And in the course, it says this, Unto us a child is born, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. Isn't that wonderful news? That he shall reign forevermore. And there's countless passages in the Bible that point to this same thing. This isn't just a one-off here in the book of Isaiah. Years before Isaiah was ever even on the scene, the same thing is prophesied to David that one will come from him who will reign forevermore. God told David, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's 2 Samuel 7, verse 16. And at Jesus' birth, we find out that he is the one to be that king forever. Luke 1, verses 31 to 33, we we read about the angel speaking to Mary, and this is what the angel says. And behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son, And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. See, there's no doubt that Jesus is this promised king, the king who reigns with justice. He is the everlasting father who will sit on the throne of David forever. We can see so clearly how Jesus demonstrates this name of everlasting Father. And this takes us then to the difference this name should make in our lives today. Why does it matter to you and to me that Jesus is an everlasting Father? Well, firstly, I think it's just important for us to note that this everlasting Father came to benefit us, to benefit his people. Look again at the beginning of verse 6. Twice we see that this son, this child, is given to us. Now, of course, the original context uh, of of this verse is is speaking to the Jewish nation. 
Um, but the broader context certainly is also speaking of any who are his people, are, are speaking to mankind, to us, this son is given. To mankind, this son is given. Similar language is used, uh, is used in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, when the angels tell the shepherds that it is unto you that there is a Savior born in the city of David. Again, of course, uh, it's not specifically just for the shepherds there. It's for all people that this Son, this Messiah, this Savior is given. That means that this everlasting Father is given to us for our benefit, for our good. And what a comfort. What a comfort that should be for each and every one of us to know that this everlasting Father was given for us. And specifically, what a comfort that should be for us as we look ahead to the coming kingdom of Jesus. Just think, a day is coming when we will have a flawless king here on earth who rules with incomparable love and perfect righteousness. I know for certain that would have been a comfort to the people who read this first, who Isaiah was writing to in Isaiah chapter 9. You know, the, the people of Judah, they were familiar with having a king over them, but unfortunately for them, they weren't familiar with having a good king. They were familiar with King Ahaz, who you can read about in 2 Kings uh, chapter 16, and there you could learn what kind of king and what kind of man Ahaz was. I'd sum it up like this. Ahaz consistently disregarded the Lord. He worshipped idols, and he led the nation of Judah into a dark place of idolatry and of sin. And worst of all, Ahaz set an example for his people by sacrificing his own son, burning him alive as a sacrifice to a false god, murdering his own kid. That's the king that the people of Judah are familiar with when they read this in chapter 9. One who leads the nation astray and murders his own children. So what good news this must have been when they, when they see this. When they see this and they, they know they can look ahead and know that one day their people would have a king who acted like a good father ought to for his people. Not murdering his own children, but leading his people with love, with justice. And knowing that that good king that was to come would reign forever. That, that would be a comfort to the people. To know, to be able to look ahead to this Messiah who we know to be Jesus. Who would have this perfect rule. And what a comfort that also should be for us. Because whether we look to our leaders or our government today and we think that they're good or we think that they're bad. What we do know for sure is that they'll fail. Good or bad, they'll fail. They can't and they won't always make the best decisions. And their rule will come to an end. And the same is true of whoever comes after them. Regardless of how good or bad they are, no rule will be forever. And if we look back with a, with a critical eye, even on previous leaders, you know, if we look back on the, the so-called good old days, it doesn't take much to notice that there's all sorts of unfulfilled promises by, by governments and politicians, all sorts of moral miscues even then. See, there has never been a government in place that has met all expectations or has ruled with perfect righteousness or has ruled forever, obviously. But we know that one is coming. When Jesus comes to reign, the government will be upon his shoulder. We will have a perfect king, leading his people as a father leads his children, with, 
with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And that means there's no more elections. Not a one. Once Jesus is on the throne, he's there forever. It also means no more complaining about politics and politicians. Oh, can't wait. That's going to be good. Uh, I sometimes uh, must admit, I get sick of, of hearing complaints about politics, politicians, government, all of that. And there won't be any of that when Jesus is on the throne. Because we will have a perfect king. There will be no more democracy. There will be no more monarchy. There will be no more anarchy. Just a perfect theocracy with Jesus on the throne. And I think that in the midst of the polarizing political world we live in, with, with the upheaval and the conflicts that have happened around our world and even in our own uh, continent and our own country politically, it's easy to grow weary and tired of all of it. You know, it's easy to just get sick of it and just be like, oh, how could this ever get worse? Or maybe how could this even get better? I don't even know. Oh, it's just, you know, it's a bit of a drag sometimes. And maybe some of us even grow angry. But however we feel today, whether looking ahead or, or looking in the present, I know that we can look far, far ahead, however far ahead that is, we don't know, to Jesus on the throne and take great comfort in knowing that it will all get better. We will have a perfect king who will have an everlasting rule. That should be a comfort to us. And the thing is, Jesus isn't only just going to be this perfect king, we also can be comforted in knowing that he is like a perfect father to us now as well. See, I'm, I'm blessed to have a great dad. My dad raised me right. He taught me the word of God. He challenges me. He's an excellent example to me of what it means to be a man of God, to be a husband, to be a father. And I'm thankful. I, I appreciate uh, my dad a ton. I'm thankful to God for him. And maybe many of you watching today feel the same way. But unfortunately, we know that that's not the case for everyone. For some, even the word father might bring to mind words like distant or maybe absent, selfish, uncaring, maybe even cruel. But whether we've had a great earthly dad or a less than great father, we know that Jesus is like a perfect father, something no earthly man can accomplish. It's impossible for any earthly man to accomplish that. Jesus will forever be perfectly fatherly in how he leads us and how he shepherds us and how he loves us. He'll never lead us astray and he will always be near us. That's something we can say about no other father because Jesus alone is the perfect example of what a father can be like to us. And it all started when Jesus came near on Christmas Day. One writer put it perfectly when they said, Jesus, who is our everlasting Father, came down at Christmas into a broken and sinful world to fill our hearts with heaven's love. Jesus came near to us to show us his love. What a comfort to know that. That Jesus came near and that he loves us more than any earthly father ever could love their own children. That's amazing. And this is especially amazing when we remember that Jesus is everlasting as well. Which means that love and that nearness that we have with him will never end. 
because he is everlasting. That's such a comfort because as joyful as Christmas is, we know that it can also be uh, an, an extremely difficult time when those who maybe we were once near to are no longer near to us because they have passed on. You know, many, many of you know this pain of seeing a loved one die. You know the pain of having to say goodbye, even if it is just for now. Because that one who is once near is not near like they once were. And that's, that's such a challenging thing to navigate. It is. It's, it's hard, especially during the holidays. But we can know that Jesus, our everlasting Father, will be with us to help us navigate that. And he will always, always be near. There will be no goodbyes with Jesus. We are his, and he is ours forever. Forever. Because he is the everlasting Father. Isn't that a comfort? Isn't that good news? See, even death itself actually only brings us nearer to Jesus. That won't separate us from him. As Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of the everlasting Father. Jesus is near, and he loves each one of us more deeply than any of us can know. What comfort and what peace we can have when we believe that that is true, and we know this wonderful truth. So regardless of what your situation might be like this, this Christmas season, Let's take all this to heart and remember and recognize Jesus is our everlasting Father. He's near. He loves us. He will one day rule with perfect righteousness and with perfect justice. He is our everlasting Father. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for uh, this passage here in, in Isaiah that was written years before Jesus ever came to earth as a man. And yet it tells us so much about who Jesus is. We thank you that, uh, that your son Jesus is like an everlasting father to us. Lord, that, that Jesus is forever. He is eternal. That he is king and that he loves us and cares for us as a father cares for his children. Lord, we pray that that would be a comfort to each one of us this Christmas. Maybe for some of us, Christmas will be a challenge this year. And Lord, I just pray that they would know that you are near, that, that you care for them, you love them. And, and Lord, that, uh, that you are like a father to them who, who will never leave them. You're always there. Nothing can separate them from the love of Christ Jesus. What good news that is. Lord, we, we thank you again that you are our everlasting Father. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.